Welcome everyone to this episode of the Command Post Podcast powered by First Do. I'm your host, Tom Lewis, Enterprise Training Manager for First Do. Today I am pleased to welcome Captain Mike Elvis Castillo of the Mesa, Arizona Fire and Medical Department to our inaugural episode. We will be discussing Mesa Fire and Medical's exceptional command response vehicle program that Captain Castillo is responsible for managing. Captain Castillo has served Mesa Fire and Medical since 1999 after a four-year stint in the United States Army. He promoted to captain in 2006 and was assigned to Engine 203, the seventh busiest engine company in the country. He later transferred to a ladder company where he spent 10 years. Then he became the officer responsible for the Command Response Vehicle Program and a member of the East Valley Command Team in the Phoenix Mesa metropolitan area. All right, let's start the podcast. Captain Castillo, welcome to our podcast. Thank you so much for being on our very, very first podcast here at First Do. Thank you very much for having me, Tom. It's nice to be here. Uh, it's great to have you. So before we go out of the gate here, and I purposely didn't ask you about this until we got here on the podcast, but I understand you have kind of a unique nickname with a unique story behind it. So tell me about how you are Captain Mike Elvis Castillo. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a funny story. So <clears throat> a few years ago, uh, he's since retired, but we had a chief named Kenny King. Uh, he was the one that gave me the nickname. And uh, he just started calling it. Uh, he started calling me Elvis uh, for a little while around the firehouse. Uh, had something to do with the sideburns. <laughs> and then uh, we, had a, uh, we had a series of uh, really large church fires, um, probably four or five in a row. It was unusual. And we don't typically, in the city of Mesa, we don't typically use each other's names on the radios. That's kind of a bit of a faux pas. And uh, we had just had this one particular fire, and it was early in the morning, late at night. We were responding. And I think he called me on the radio, and he said Elvis on the radio. He said, Elvis, I need you to do X, Y, Z. And so that kind of stuck. Now that he said it on the radio, it's kind of solidified it. Well, fast forward, <clears throat> he had a, uh, a spa in his backyard that he needed moved from one spot to another. It's probably only about, you know, 40 feet or so from one corner to the other in his backyard. But this, this spa must have weighed 800 pounds. <laughs> Everybody from the firehouse went to go help him out. He was our chief. So of course we went to go help him out and uh, we're lifting this spa and there's no handhold. So it's, you know, it's cutting into our hands. But we finally got this thing moved and I hear him yelling, from across the uh, the yard, he's yelling, Elvis, Elvis, get over here. And I'm thinking, well, what's happening? My chief's yelling at me. I'm on my day off. So I go running over there. But before I can get to him, here comes the dog running across the yard. And I thought, you, you named me after the dog. I thought, oh, my gosh, that's too funny. But it was unique, but uh, that wasn't special after all. So I just think it's I th no, that's pretty special. I think it's cool that Mesa um, let you put it on your business card. I think that's even even more fun so that i saw that when when you had given me your your card when we we first met not too long ago and and you started you know when we met um up at your station and you gave us you gave us a tour of your command response vehicle and you know i've always uh, been an admirer of what goes on in the phoenix metro area from you know the days of chief brunacini chief compton um chief beck and, and now um, chief camelli at, at mesa mm -hmm. And so, you know, you showed us the capabilities of it. And, and I know, obviously, this is a podcast, so it's a little hard to, to necessarily show um, what it's all about. But I know you can tell an amazing story about it. So um, before we get into the command response vehicle itself, um, kind of share with the listeners um, your journey that's gotten you to the point of where you're responsible for managing this special program. And, um, and I understand, too, you are on your way to potentially becoming a battalion chief, too. So maybe kind of share a little bit about your background um, coming into Mesa Fire and, and the journey that's gotten you to this point. Sure. Yeah. Um, so I, I spent a few years in the Army um, right after college. Um, I enlisted uh, about a year after college, kind of wandered for that first year. And then after that, realized I got to do something here and, uh, and enlisted in the Army. Uh, I was a tank mechanic, which I had oh, wow. every, yes, I had every aspiration to being a mechanic. I've always been into cars, right? So uh, I've had every aspiration um, getting into the military to uh, serve my country and then also my community, um, but also 
get some money for college. So right. I came out with the thinking that I was going to do, I was going to do that. I was going to basically be a mechanic. Uh, and I found out pretty quickly, <clears throat> you bust a couple of knuckles on a, on a tank in 30 degree weather in Kansas and you don't want to do it anymore. So I decided <laughs> that wasn't for me. <laughs> so um, I, got, I came home, I started taking college courses and um, I, somehow I don't remember how, but um, my family reunion or something, my cousin worked at the time, he, it was Rural Metro. It's now uh, since been annexed into uh, uh, Gilbert, down Gilbert. And he had been a firefighter with Gilbert uh, for, for, for Rural Metro before they became a township, um, a municipality. And he basically talked me into it. He said, you got to come down. And I don't know if you know what you want to do, but you got to come down and do a ride along with us, meet the guys. And um, I ended up taking some classes at the community college. Um, he taught one of them, which was a firefighter one and two class. Um, had another guy named Dave Fisher. Uh, so my cousin, Steve Burt and Dave Fisher were my two first mentors into the fire service, into the foray of, of being a firefighter. I had no idea what to do, what classes to take. They kind of led me along that first part of my journey and then uh, started testing everywhere. And <clears throat> just so happened that I tested for a bunch of different places. took about three years to get hired at oh, the wow. time. Extremely competitive it is. Um, back in 97 to 98, 99. And um, I tested a bunch of different places and I actually got offers at the time from Gilbert, Mesa, and uh, Phoenix. And Mesa just happened to be the first phone call. I had accepted the, the job. And then I kind of got the other phone calls. And I said, well, I'm starting the academy on Monday. So <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of solidified here. Uh, and I'm glad I did. It's a wonderful organization, um, a fantastic city. I've actually lived my entire life in, in the downtown Mesa area. Oh, wow. uh, I grew up here, so uh, working at the downtown station that you came to do a tour at. I've actually been at that station uh, for about 19 years, coming up on 19 years, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Of my, of my 23 years. So, yeah, I left and I'm a glutton for punishment, so I came back. That's a true second um, home there. That's a true yeah. second home. Yeah, yeah. I enjoy it. I, I really, really enjoy it. We go out the big house, affectionately known as the big house. The big house. Uh, so I spent um, <clears throat> several years as a firefighter um, on Engine 1. And I promoted to captain out of station one on engine one. And uh, I got sent to a different part of town, the uh, kind of central portion of town um, on uh, engine five, worked there for about five months. And then the spot on engine three came open. Um, that spot was an extremely busy house. At the time, there was only one company there. They had put a second company there, um, but it ended up basically being a dual station that ran the same number of calls as a single station. Right. Um, just an extremely, extremely busy house. I think three years in a row that firehouse uh, run survey they do, it had engine three as the seventh busiest engine company in the country, which is great for a new captain yes. to kind of cut my teeth on, you know, as a brand new captain. Um, I was there for a little bit over three years, roughly. And then a spot on ladder one opened up. I, I took that spot as a captain on ladder one, um, started learning that was my journey into uh, the world of ladder companies, completely different um, job function. Uh, learned that, learned with my crew, I had a bunch of crews uh, coming in and out of there. So I got a chance to learn with uh, new members, and see other members promote, which is uh, a really joy to help people promote as well. Um, and then from there, I was there up until about four years ago and uh, the spot on the command response vehicle came open and it's at that same firehouse at station one uh, with our East deputy uh, battalion chief. That spot came open. It was an interviewed position. So the rest of our positions on the fire department are all bid positions, seniority bidding. Mm -hmm. That spot's a little unique in that uh, it's very uh, specialized, very technical uh, type of a, of a uh, uh, position. Um, you're a support officer for the East deputy chief as well as for his battalion safety officer. And then uh, so you work in that office, the three-person command team. Mm -hmm. um, I ended up interviewing for the position and uh, I got the position. So there are three of us that are that are on that truck. Um, I'm one of, of the three. And then uh, on A, B, and C shift. Right. And then um, the uh, BSOs that are there, the battalion safety officers are also cross-trained on the command response vehicle. So 
and I've been there for about four years, coming up on about four years. Four years. So, so four years there. And for our listeners, before we jump into the command response vehicle, um, for the because you're a fellow Arizonan and you're Mesa, I'm down in yep. Tucson, and so I've you know I've got a pretty good lay of the land. But uh, describe for our listeners um, how Mesa is situated in the Phoenix metropolitan area. Yeah, so <clears throat> we're just outside of Phoenix. Um, we're kind of split in the middle between um, Phoenix and Mesa. Uh, Tempe, the, the college town's kind of right in the middle of us. Okay. And then we're surrounded by a lot of smaller towns, Scottsdale, uh, Chandler, Gilbert, and Superstition. Right. <clears throat> and so the Valley metro area, kind of as it's known, the Phoenix Mesa metro area, um, is almost kind of split down the middle right around Priest. Okay. Um, and, when I, and when I say that, I basically mean, uh, sorry, Price. Price, um, okay, Price, Price Road. Road. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, and there's two separate dispatch systems. So Phoenix, obviously being the largest city in Arizona and the largest, obviously in the Valley Mesa being the second largest. Um, I think we're just shy from you guys, just a yep. little bit, two yep. times a bigger city, right, uh, right. a little bit bigger of a fire department. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, Phoenix actually dispatches and I might get this wrong. So don't quote me on this. Uh, Phoenix dispatches for 17 cities, I believe. Okay. And then Mesa dispatches for five, the other five. Okay. So it's basically uh, a, a Phoenix regional dispatch system, which is the West Valley, and then Mesa regional dispatch system, which is the East Valley. Um, the really interesting thing, and I know we'll probably get to this more in detail, but the really interesting thing is um, with the automatic aid system, with our, our CAD to CAD system, uh, there's really no boundaries, uh, mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Um, Plenty of times uh, Mesa unit will respond to Tempe or Phoenix if they're running a large call and vice versa. Uh, uh, outside agencies, whether they're one of our dispatch partners or not, will still respond into the city of Mesa. And so the valley is kind of situated in, in such a way that um, we're east of Phoenix right. uh, on the east side of town. Um, but it's really situated in such a way that there's enough fire trucks to cover every single member of every single community literally within the entire valley. Um, and if there's not, because if there's a large incident going on, then we typically provide coverage for each other to cover those certain areas. Yeah, the boundary list, the boundary list response um, in such a large metropolitan area has always impressed me. And that's been going on now for, what, 20, 30, close to 20, 30 mm-hmm. years now, at least. Yeah, probably, at least. Yeah, Bernicini was the one who kind of brought that concept oh, um, yeah. into fruition, so, yeah. Yeah, it's an it's an amazing uh, amazing system for the good of the communities, right? Um, oh, absolutely. Throughout the whole at, metropolitan area. Yeah. At the end of the day, uh, Dennis Compton was the chief when I first came on. Yeah. Obviously, he was from Phoenix as an assistant chief, and Bernasini used to say the same thing. Um, little Mrs. Smith calling nine one one doesn't really care what the color of the fire truck is or what it says on the back of our shirt. She just wants somebody to show up, and that's and, what and to take good and to take on. good care of her, right? Just to, of course, to, and, to, and to treat her and her treat her and her family as well as you can when they're having the worst day, you know, imaginable. So right, exactly, yeah. So let's let's jump into this command response vehicle, you know, because it responds to some, it can respond to some really bad days for people because it is designed to manage larger incidents. So kind of tell us a story about this vehicle, um, what it can do, um, what it responds to, and how um, the people that are part of this program, you obviously, of course, on your shift, being responsible for it, how that all comes together um, to keep crews and communities safer, you know, on these larger incidents. Okay, right. So our command response vehicle um, has been in service roughly 2015. I believe we took delivery of the vehicle in 2015. Uh, That was about two years before I got onto the vehicle. Uh, in 2017. Mm-hmm. And the philosophy behind it, well, first of all, let me back up. Prior to that, um, the Valley, uh, we had several command vehicles. So CV, Phoenix okay. had one, Gilbert had one, Mesa had one, maybe Scottsdale, a couple other communities. Uh, they, they certainly weren't utilized in the capacity that they're used now. And um, I think Mesa has been instrumental uh, working with Phoenix on changing that at uh, what we call a rock level. It's a regional operations consistency committee level. And the idea behind that is everybody works off of the same page, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it doesn't matter. Again, if, if there's a large incident that Phoenix is already running on the West side, theoretically, 
the command response vehicle in Mesa could drive all the way to Phoenix and function as another command response vehicle for another major incident. Right. There are, like you said, there are no uh, sort of boundary less, right? Um, <clears throat> so the unique aspect of when we changed over from, and I know it's just sort of semantics, but when we changed from the command vehicle, which we had had for, for decades prior to a command response vehicle, in Mesa at least, um, our department, our organization made the decision to switch from an engineer to a captain. So okay. that was a very unique, and, and we're the only ones that do that currently. So there are currently only two command response vehicles in the, the Phoenix Mesa metro area. That's uh, command response vehicle one, CRV-1 in uh, Phoenix, and CRV-201 in, in Mesa. Those are the only two currently. I know that there's some other communities <clears throat> that are looking to put theirs in service because we, you know, there's a, unfortunately, there's a lot, a lot more major incidents than you realize. Sure. Um, and if we're responding into uh, northern Scottsdale, it's a 40 minute response time for sure. us to, to head all the way up to the, you know, to four peaks or something. So, um, so with Mesa making that decision to change not only our response model, but how our staffing model is associated with that, that CRV, the command response vehicle, um, something really important came out of that. And first of all, I don't want to take anything away from our engineer rank. We considered our junior officer rank. I know in some communities it's considered a lieutenant. Uh, in right. others, the chauffeur, right? Mm -hmm. um, our engineers are kind of a backbone of our department. They're really essential in that they support the mission of the captain who supports the mission of the organization, uh, kind of the day-to-day -day operations. That being said, putting a captain, bringing a company officer onto that vehicle uh, was quite possibly one of the best decisions our organization made for that response. Because now what you get is not just a driver operator, not somebody who knows the function of the, of the, the vehicle itself, uh, how to operate the vehicle. But what you end up getting to is uh, effectively a command liaison officer. Right. And we wouldn't have had that had it not been for a company officer in that role. Um, additionally, unique to what I had said a minute ago is most of our positions on the organization, on the fire department, are bid, seniority bid positions. You bid for a spot. If you have seniority, you, you get the spot. Uh, the command response vehicle, as well as our battalion safety officers are all interviewed positions, which is unique because effectively, then our organization can pick and choose who they feel would work best within the parameters or the scope or the roles and responsibilities required from that member in that position. So it's sure. really unique in that aspect and you get a lot more out of it, right? So when we have a large incident that our, uh, our CRV responds to, um, ultimately what we get out of it is you know, not just a member who knows the every ins and outs of, of all the crazy technology that we have on the vehicle, um, but also a liaison to the incident commander and to the senior advisor that's uh, basically showing up with the, with the CRV when they get there. So it's a, it's a very unique, and I think we're fortunate in Mesa that we have that capability is that we have a company officer side of that truck. So it's sure. And like you said, it's, you know, a liaison, right? You're going to be, you know, a uh, command liaison um, and serve, not just to get the vehicle there, get it set up and work all of the technical aspects of it. But now you have that command, that captain role that has um, a deeper understanding, more training education on the incident command system, because as a company officer, there's a different expectation there, right? Absolutely. And, and we have some requirements on us, not only our BSOs, but on our uh, CRV captains, the command response vehicle captains. Um, we attend FDSOA uh, ISO classes. Um, we're required to keep that certification up because we are an incident support officer, an incident safety officer. Right. Um, and the FDSOA, right. the FDSOA, I'm sure most of our listeners know that, but it's the Fire Department Safety Officers Association, right? Correct. Yeah, correct. Because okay. I we're chock full of acronyms and, and uh, right. <laughs> most of uh, most listeners will probably know most of the acronyms, but you know, I'll chime in on some and maybe ask you for sure. clarity on, on others, but uh, yeah, sure. we'll keep, we'll keep a good one. One thing I want to mention too, to, to the listeners is that, you know, this command response vehicle we're talking about, if you do us internet search, just type in Mesa fire 
command response vehicle. So you can get a look at the, what this vehicle is. And, and, and that's a little bit about what we're going to get into now is kind of describe to the listeners what this, this machine does, what it is, um, what its capabilities are and why it's so, so essential um, in serving, you know, the East Valley. Sure. Yeah. So <clears throat> first of all, the, the vehicle responds on all greater alarms. So first alarms and greater. Okay. Um, the idea of the, of the uh, uh, vehicle is obviously if we can always get turned around. Sure. So our, our, for those that know the valley, um, our response area is effectively, let's call it everything east of Tempe. So literally east. When I say east, I'm talking all the way to Florence, all the way to Globe, Miami area, which oh, wow. is very far, large sure. area if you know the valley. Yes. And then uh, north and south, north, probably, quite frankly, all the way up to Payson. We've actually had the vehicle respond all the way up into Payson on a tanker explosion rollover. And then um, south, I would say, probably as far as Casa Grande and uh, maybe maybe even where Maricopa, the newer community Maricopa is. They have a VW Proving Grounds that we've had uh, an explosion there and responded there. So oh, wow. very, very large significantly different than an engine or a ladder company's response mm-hmm. first do. So it's a pretty large area. Um, and essentially when the vehicle goes out, it, uh, it always responds with a senior advisor. In the case of the Valley, um, what the ROC or the Regional Operations Consistency Committee came up with uh, several years ago was to create shift commander positions within each organization so Phoenix has the North and South Deputy, um, Glendale has West Deputy, and Mesa has East Deputy, uh, the newest of which Scottsdale just recently, probably in the past couple of weeks, just announced that they have a Northeast Deputy, which okay. is wonderful because the, the more the better, right? We're having senior advisors actually responding to the calls. Those individuals uh, are, are that sort of fatherly figure that while they're not in charge, the incident commander is still the incident commander. They take on a role as sort of a governing body or a fatherly figure, right? Right, right. Just ensuring, challenging the plan, making sure everything's going the right way. When the CRV responds, it always responds with the senior advisor. Now, the interesting thing, and I know we'll go into this, but the interesting thing about our community that's very, very, I guess, in some extent, unique to the Valley even though the CRV, I'm housed, uh, so on shift tomorrow, I'll be housed with the East Deputy. Um, we're part of a three-person command team that responds. Theoretically, he could stay in the house, and I actually respond with Northeast Deputy. And he is, you know, he's still there readily available for the next large amount. So that's unique in the aspect that then effectively I go and respond to a completely different community well outside of the city, and I'm working with somebody who is at the shift commander but a, a different version of my boss. Sure. Uh-huh. It, it's, it's unique in that aspect. And what's even more unique is that somehow it works. <laughs> we, we train together, we drill together, we reinforce the need for uh, this level of command training. Um, we refresh as often as we can on the, on the CRV uh, operations within the command post once it's established. Everybody understands how we do it. <clears throat> and then when we arrive, everything just sort of flows very, very smoothly. Typically, we'll get to an incident. Um, we'll set it up. Believe it or not, it only takes about seven minutes. We've got it down between the three of us that are on the CRV. We have it down to about seven minutes to set up the command room portion, which is the front. Okay. And that's an RV style pop. Everything pops out. And then about another 15 minutes to set up the remainder of the vehicle. But to get command transferred from a little battalion pickup. Sure. Into the CRV, it, it takes less than about 10 minutes to do it once we arrive on scene. So in, in those 10 minutes, tell us what you're setting up, right? Walk us through, you know, kind of get us a visual um, that we can create in our minds about what you're setting up and, you know, what the expectations um, are of that command response <clears throat> vehicle when you, when you show up to assist with command. Yeah, and, that, and that's a great question because sometimes the setup is a little different. I'd mentioned before that we operate off of two distinctly different dispatch systems, one East Valley, one West Valley. Sure. And with those two distinctly different dispatch systems come two distinctly different CAD systems or computer-aided dispatch systems. Yep. So, for example, Mesa and, and uh, Mesa Regional Dispatch Center's um, 
dispatch partners, we use a completely different uh, dispatch system, a CAD system than Phoenix and Phoenix's dispatch partners. And so again, that's another unique aspect of Mesa's CRV as well as, well as uh, Phoenix's. We have their MCTs, our, our, our mobile computer terminals, and they have ours. So what's interesting about that is it's typically when we get there, in Mesa, let's say, for example, or in the dispatch system within the East Valley, we would arrive on scene, get everything set up, get the pop-outs pushed out, get the command room set up. Um, we have some little, uh, it's basically uh, emergency operations center tagging. So we'll stick it to the roof. So, you know, when you walk in, you know, who's command, who's, uh, who's the support officer, who's the senior advisor, who's logistics, that sort of thing. And then uh, paperwork gets set up. Obviously, a lot of basically it's a it's a mobile office, so right. effectively it gets up, it gets set up in such a way. And then um, we also have a lot of unique uh, material that's unique to each department. So Mesa may use different command tracking worksheets for different incidents than say Gilbert or Tempe or Scottsdale or Phoenix. And we effectively have one of each. We're responding into Tempe on a major high-rise type call and uh, the, the packets of information for that incident commander will pull out, will be specific to that community. And then <clears throat> same thing with the, the MCTs. So all of the MCTs we have that are specific to the city that we're responding to. So in the case of Mesa, they're docked, we can just turn them on and then we have screens and they'll be cast up onto the screen. And then uh, responding into Tempe or Scottsdale or a dispatch partner for Phoenix, we have their CAD system. So we effectively get rid of ours, pull theirs out, and they obviously use theirs, which is unique because a lot of times that's one of the apprehensions that we found out early on was uh, from, an, from an incident commander standpoint, they're very familiar with their, their battalion pickup truck, right? They're very familiar with that. Right. Um, uh, Chief Pat Bailey once told me that uh, he said, I've got a lot of good memories in my battalion vehicle. <laughs> I don't know what that thing is over there. I've never been in that thing over there. And so we've, we've really done our due diligence over the past several years and things take a while, right. Um, to really incorporate a lot of uh, familiarization type training with our surrounding communities to, to really kind of shore that up so that when we do arrive on scene, a, we, we really reinforce that we're not there to take anything over just because a senior advisor showing up and a big giant vehicle showing up, we're here to support the operations, the already successful operations that are going on. Um, and then B, let you take a look at it before the incident. So, you know, I, I say sure. when we do the training, the most difficult part on the scene, um, you know, I don't care what's going on on the scene. It can be the, the biggest high rise hazmat, who knows what fire. Um, but that transition walking away from there, the incident commander walking away from his battalion vehicle, giving up the radio for even 45 seconds to walk over to our incident command post in the CRV. Uh, that's a very stressful time period for that incident commander. So we I try to relieve it. a lot of that stress before it even happens. I, I believe it. And, and, <clears throat> and you had mentioned, you know, it's got the, 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 the tilt outs and the, and the put the push out section. So this is not a mere RV that we're talking about. This is a substantive um, commercial vehicle that, that, that this is built upon. Right. Yeah, it's on a commercial chassis. <clears throat> excuse me, and uh, it's actually built by Frontline. Okay. Um, and it's designed, believe it or not, it's actually designed around a uh, uh, like a like a TV station type of a of a, a vehicle, so okay. a communication style vehicle. Um, so it is an RV. Um, in and let me put it this way: when we show it to the community, that's the first people who love it are the RV people. They hop in and say, oh, this is exactly what I need. I need one of these. Because it's got TV. I'll go through that in a second. But, sure, sure. Um, yeah, it, it essentially, it was built <clears throat> uh, sort of modeled around like a communication style vehicle that that would uh, you'd see for a large TV. I mean, probably a national stage TV station that they okay. would bring out. Um, <clears throat> and it's set up that way. We've got, um, so yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, when we pop it out, everything gets popped out. Everything gets set up. Uh, then we start working on a lot of the technology. So okay, let's go. Uh, let's have go some, there. Yeah, the technology. Sure, sure. I'm, envi I'm envisioning. I mean, I've seen it, so I can visualize it really well. The uh, you know the mobile office concept you mentioned earlier. Exactly. I mean, described it perfectly. It is that. But let's get into 
the technology it offers and how that technology. So I think you and I kind of agree on, on this and we, we, I don't know if we discussed it, but I know we share this same kind of um, use about technology, right? It should serve to improve the situation that we're in, whether it's day-to-day, you know, non-emergent uh, situations, the technology should serve us, not so much the other way around. And in the sense that it's like a movie with special effects, right? As long if the story's great, then the special effects serve to enhance the story. But if it's just all about special effects, then it's the story's not there, right? And, and that's I think the same goes for all the technology that's embedded in this amazing vehicle. So maybe share share what what it can do, right? Share share the technological aspects of what the CRV can do. Sure. Yeah, that's a great analogy too, Tom. Um, it, it really should serve a purpose on there, right? Um, and that purpose should be effectively to support the, the operations that are going on, ensure that the success of the operation. So we, um, <clears throat> like I said, we have multiple MCTs. I think we've probably got three for Mesa and two for Phoenix. So five total MCTs on the vehicle. Um, <clears throat> we've got uh, uh, multiple, I think we've got three desktop computers that are in there. We've got a weather station. Um, it's the weather station is situated on a 48 foot mass camera, uh, which the 48 foot mass camera is probably one of the most beneficial things of the CRV. So I'll talk about that for a second. So typically, <clears throat> uh, incident command, take, battalion chief arrives on scene, takes incident command. He shows up. He's got a wonderful view of the scene right up until an engine or a ladder company pulls in front of him. And now he can't see anything, right? <laughs> Happens every time. <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> right. Um, so the unique thing about the CRV, the great thing about the CRV is we've kind of eliminated that. So we have a big giant RV window you can look out of. But in addition to that, we've got a 48 foot mast camera that can move around 360 degrees. Um, we can zoom in uh, to about a postage stamp. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Wow. So even if we have to, um, and I know we're going to talk about kind of a, of a, a, a couple of unique calls, but even if we have to be blocks away um, or even a quarter of a mile away, it, it I don't say it doesn't matter, but we have the communications capability. And with that, with that 48 foot mast camera and that camera on there, uh, effectively you can be right up on top of that, that structure fire assignment that we're responding to in the first place. So we oftentimes have the, the incident commanders come in and say, well, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner, right? Look at that, that view. We can put it up on a giant you know, 50 inch screen that we have at the, in the front of the command room and right. you can see everything. Plus the, their support officer can, can remotely function that camera and move it around exactly where he wants to and sort of pinpoint certain areas. So we've got that. Um, we also, and then, sorry, uh, as a part of that, uh, that mass camera, we've got that, um, that weather station on there, which is a huge benefit from a hazmat perspective. Sure. So if we have a, a large hazmat incident, um, all the computers, we can put them anywhere, literally anything, Thing can go anywhere inside that vehicle. Um, <clears throat> with our, our hazmat calls, we have all of the software that, that our, our hazmat techs need. So Cameo and uh, plume mapping software, uh, you name it. And what they can do is they can jump on and effectively map out a certain uh, plume. And then obviously utilizing that uh, weather station, it's going to give them a ton of information that they're going to want on their, on their hazmat calls. Right. Sure, for you know the evacuation, so, the evacuation zones, and 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 all of that based on exactly on the weather at the incident. Do you ever uh, with the that that 40, 48 foot mass <laughs> camera? Have you ever gotten to a point where you where you're going to supplement dr- drones into this uh, command response vehicle? Okay, yeah, um, that's a that's a good question. We have in the past utilized drones, mm-hmm. um, so uh, and I know we can deep dive into this a little more, but I know uh, in two thousand. 20, I think it was June or July of 2020, um, we had a train derailment in Tempe, and that was a very large incident. It was a, a like a, a ICS, the NIMS type one incident right. um, over multiple work cycles. I think mm-hmm. the, the command response vehicle was utilized for upwards of almost maybe 48 hours on that incident. And of course, we had multiple agencies, ATF, sure. NTSB, FBI, you name it. Wow. Um, yeah. And we did utilize several drones on that call. 
And the interesting thing about the drones were we were able to feed that footage back into the CRV. So mm-hmm. it gave a really, really unique perspective for the incident commander and the senior advisor on that call uh, to be able to see that live footage in areas that we couldn't see because we had uh, we had a hazmat incident with the train derailment. We had a, a fire on the bridge. So the bridge was effectively on fire. Uh, so there was just multiple agencies uh, oh, that's nice. Look what I got going here. Um, you good there? You got your, you got your cat. Your pet. What's your cat's name there? Uh, that's Harley. Harley. You got a, Harley's your pal. He, Harley just wanted to, to get into the uh, into the uh, podcast she, here. She's on the podcast now. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, good job. Um, so that's we cool. had, uh, with the uh, drones, we had the um, the unique aspect that we could see the, that multiple footage and in an area that effectively, you know, that... That mass camera, while it's wonderful to be Amazing. able to yeah. see, uh, you can't zoom over here, right, to a different area. Uh, so they were able to actually run those drones and actually get underneath the bridge to see some structural stability. We would have never been able to see that with that camera, nor could crews get into areas where they could um, sort of get that perspective. Right. Uh, the nice thing is we, we can record as well. Okay. Uh, so all that footage can be utilized in the future for... Um, uh, for training purposes. And then of course, ATF, uh, or sorry, NTSB comes by and says, we need all the footage. Well, there you go. Got it. Not only our- and it was all fed right. into the command response vehicle too. Correct. So it's all still supplementing the, the camera that you do have the fixed mass camera, but you're also being, you're able to feed it all into a single central location, you know, Correct. and so that supplemented the, the fixed camera rather nicely on that train derailment. Absolutely. Campaign. Yeah. Yeah, so wow. it so it works out effectively, like you said. It really supplemented um, information that, quite frankly, without that drone footage, we would have never been able to see what we saw. We would have never been able to take a look at that uh, structural integrity going on with that bridge to be able to say we can put crews in certain areas or we don't want to do X, Y, Z. So that that gave a very unique perspective for incident command that they otherwise wouldn't have had. That's, That's fantastic. Well, you know, we've got, you know, we've got a handful of minutes here left and, and uh, as we, you know, continue talking and you share that, that particular incident that, that certainly stood out in the technology that helped uh, to mitigate um, that particular incident. What um, are there any other interesting, you know, even humorous, if you have them uh, incidents that, the command response vehicle that sticks out into your mind that you just, you remember the, the, the incredible value it brought to um, that incident. Yeah. So, um, so the, the train derailment was, was obviously an extremely uh, important call for the CRV Mm -hmm. um, in that the value that it brought to that scene was, uh, one that effectively there, I, I don't, I certainly don't want to say there was no way to manage that scene without it, because at the end of the day, firefighters are firefighters where the rubber meets, meets the road. We just make things work. We're going to get it done. We're going to get it done. Yeah. That being said, um, on an incident like that, where it's over several four five work cycles, um, having a one location and mind you, we obviously at that point we were had a unified command set up with, the police department sure, and uh, the fire department in Tempe um, and then Mesa helping support Tempe. Uh, boy, I don't even know how many other agencies, Pacific Railroad, NTSB, FBI, you know, you name it. Uh, federal marshals, I think at one point were there. So, I mean, I don't know how many agencies were there, but we literally had, you know, a hundred people in the CRV. It's an exaggeration, but there's a lot of people oh, in the yeah. CRV. Um, and so, not having an, an established EOC in the city of Tempe where that can be set up, an emergency operations center, um, or at the time, a JIC, a, a joint information center for PIO. Yep. Not having those set up initially, uh, being able to have the, the CRV set up and running for that long period of time for Tempe and the other agencies to utilize it, that's the point of it, right? Sure. Um, another example that I can think of really quickly uh, was uh, we had a, a fire in the Florence area. And okay. the interesting thing about that, it was, it was a hazmat fire. Okay. So they had a facility that um, they were fairly tight-lipped about what was going on in the facility. Um, they weren't willing to let us know a, a ton of 
the individual product as well as some of the finished product. But what we did find out, and mind you, we were staged, the CRV was, the command post was staged oof, probably a <clears throat> mile and a half or, or two miles away. Oh, and that's after, and, and, and to, to the listeners, Florence, and compared to the Phoenix, you know, in contrast to the Phoenix Metro, Mesa, Phoenix, uh, metropolitan area, that's a good, what, 45, half hour to 45 minute drive east, southeast of Mesa, right? So it was a 12 hour call that the okay. CRV was on, um, an hour to drive there and an yeah. hour to drive back. To oh, put yeah. that into perspective, that's yep. from Mesa. Right. So that's, a, that's a long, long distance away. Um, the facility was effectively a chemical plant that, that stored the raw materials as well as some of the combination materials. <clears throat> um, and they were really focused when we got there on a building to the north that they said um, it can't heat up. If it, if it experienced any form of heat or fire, they would have a massive explosion that they, in their words, would level the whole town. So of course we wow. crews were deluging that area with with unmanned water streams and cooling it off, and you know we the CRV we were set up a mile and a half away, and it really speaks to the the communication capability on that vehicle that we can have crews in forward area and forward sectors a mile and a half away from the command post, and with the communications of the of the vehicle of the CRV still be able to have clear concise communications with all the crews. Um, that was a unique call in that it seemed like, you know, at the end of the day, every all, all fires go out, right? <laughs> they do. Fires go they out. do. <clears throat> this was unique in that <clears throat> what we encountered was a product that well, we couldn't get wet. That doesn't help. Uh, it couldn't catch on fire. It couldn't heat up. Uh, if it got wet, it had to get really, really wet. So we had to dump tons and tons of water on it. Mm-hmm. And when we <laughs> attempted to get crews into forward positions, to um, well, we want to put a lot of water on it, so we were thinking, oh, we'll open up a bunch of roll-up doors. All the runoff, we pH the runoff, and it was a base, so we couldn't get anybody into the water, into the runoff. So effectively, it, we kind of threw up hands and said, you know, we're open for suggestions here because sure. it seemed like on that call, it was I hate to say it was a comedy of errors. Everything went fine. Nobody got hurt. The place didn't blow up. Uh, the fire eventually went out. And the community said, thank you so much for coming out. It was a mutual aid call. They called to say, can you bring out a command post and hazmat crews and a senior advisor and so on and so forth. Um, <clears throat> but boy, it seemed like it seemed like we, we would solve one problem and two problems came up. So that was, uh, that was a little frustrating. Well, and having a, having a, a, in, in a peaceful, which is what it is, it's almost a sanctuary amidst the chaos, which is the command mm-hmm. response vehicle to be able to yeah, make decisions, do the research that you need to do. So uh, what a what a, um, amazing couple of stories between the train derailment and then the Florence uh, hazmat incident. So to our listeners that will go and look at what this vehicle is to Mesa and they look at it and they go, this is an amazing vehicle, but I work for a smaller volunteer community or a medium-sized fire department we don't have the budget for a vehicle like this. What, what, what suggestions do you have to those agencies that want to enhance their command presence, that want to enhance their ability to manage incidents of substance, you know, significant incidents, um, but don't necessarily have the financial um, wherewithal to purchase a vehicle of that sophistication? Right. And that makes sense. Not every community is the city of Phoenix or Los Angeles County or or FDNY with just a a crazy budget Uh, or even Mesa. Right. Right. I mean, we stepped into this vehicle, I think, at a point where there was a need for it um, regionally. And, um, you know, we 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 manage it super successfully that way. The one thing I would say, and this is this is probably difficult for a lot of fire departments to grasp a concept, quite frankly, just because we don't do it, um, partnerships. Mm-hmm. So most, when we think about most fire departments, the, the expectation is that uh, if a fire department needs a fire truck, that fire department buys the fire truck, that community taxpayers in that community buy the fire truck. There's no expectation that some other outside neighboring community will in any way, shape or form pay for that fire truck. Uh, that's just not expected. That's not something that's typical. Now, sure. uh, there are some uh, uh, departments I know in, in Mesa, I'm sorry, in uh, Northern Arizona, 
uh, Timber Mesa being one of them, where Timber there Mesa. are multiple, yeah, there are multiple fire departments that have kind of caught on to that fact and said, well, we're all neighboring communities. Um, the automatic aid system within the valley uh, effectively makes all of the cities surrounding Phoenix and Mesa uh, kind of, for lack of a better term, Maricopa County Fire Department, when you think about it, right? that uh, the other fire departments say, well, why, why couldn't we do something like this? Pool our resources, if nothing else. And so I, I would start there. I would start looking at something like that. So first of all, the, the command vehicle that we have, the command response vehicle, it, it's very expensive, right? It's expensive to, to, uh, uh, to purchase. Um, then it's expensive to stuff it full of technology. Right. Uh, and at the end of the day, it's probably the most expensive thing is always going to be the staffing, the personnel. That's very, very expensive. And so volunteers, that would be a great way to start because knowing full well that, first of all, A, once you have the vehicle, how do you staff it? Um, as long as it's readily retrievable 24-7, 365 days a year, you don't want to miss that one day because we all know that one day you don't staff it is the one day you that you would have needed it, right? Sure. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, that's yeah. sort of Never Murphy's fails. Law, right? Murphy's Law. So I would say staffing would be a good place to start, but then to look at those partnerships. So if you're looking at a vehicle similar to the CRV, um, and the one thing I will offer up is we've had a number of communities, both in-state and out-of-state, come and take a look at Mesa's command response vehicle. And we are more than welcome to, to welcome anybody in to take a tour of it, um, to uh, answer any questions we can possibly answer. If I don't know the answer to the question readily at that point, I'm certainly going to look it up and email you. Uh, we're more than willing to help out any communities with this. And so that those partnerships, jumping in on a partnership to you know, 50-50 the vehicle, or if there's uh, four communities that can, that can do a quarter of the expense of the vehicle, now you're getting into, well, we may be able to get into a vehicle that we otherwise wouldn't normally be able to because of financial limitations. Um, the, the third option <clears throat> would be um, a, a used command response vehicle. So I think it's likely that within the city of Mesa and the city of Phoenix, we know that this vehicle is going to get utilized um, almost once a week uh, sure. and, and sometimes more just because it's a, such a large response area. There's only two of them currently um, and of the regional aspect of it. Right. Right. And so knowing that, well, we want a vehicle that has zero miles on it. Obviously it has to be new, but for some smaller communities that may not run as, as many calls as, as, um, you know, larger fire departments are going to run, may not run as many larger incidents. Well, you, you may be able to get away with the used command response vehicle, or even we were talking about this the other day, um, even possibly something that you could certainly convert into a command response vehicle, right. something as simple as an RV. Anything well, and, and, that gives you, yep, go ahead. No, well, no, and, and seeing how the pride and ownership that you, you take in your command response vehicle, certainly when it is time to replace it, it's still going to be in spectacular shape, right? So those are certainly options. And I, I think one of the biggest takeaways on what you've just said is that communities need to be in its scales like ICS scales, right? That ability to collaborate and share resources and partner with uh, neighboring jurisdictions. You know, it works in a city that geographically is as large or larger than Los Angeles now, the Phoenix and Mesa metropolitan area can, can scale down to smaller communities that just those barriers need to come down if you're going to better serve the communities and provide an enhanced level, right? Because communities are expecting more of their fire departments above and beyond significant incidents that a command response vehicle uh, would respond to. So I think you sharing that story and explaining the value of sharing those resources and breaking down any barriers that could, that may and do exist out there with neighboring agencies, that that's going to be a pathway to success for better large scale incident management, but also just better uh, serving of their communities in general. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. And certainly the Mesa and Phoenix metropolitan area is, is a model for that, you know, worldwide, frankly, you know, so man, our time, yeah. our time is uh, coming rapidly to a close. Um, Captain Castillo, Elvis, 
Um, I am uh, I'm grateful to you. This is our very first podcast. We're calling it the Command Post Podcast, powered by First Do. So, what better first topic than to talk to an expert in you know incident management and management of a command response vehicle program? So, I'm very grateful to you for spending time with us today. And then, in uh, the links um, that will accompany this this podcast recording. There'll be links to, to contact you and also some links to, you know, some more information about the command response vehicle in Mesa. So before we close, is there anything else you'd like to add to our list uh, for our listeners today? No, I, I just appreciate your, your time. This is a, 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 an absolute honor to be your, uh, your, your first guest on the inaugural uh, command post podcast. So I, I truly appreciate being asked. Um, I, I, I got to say, I, I really, really enjoy uh, this portion of my job. Um, it was, <clears throat> it was the, the other side of the coin, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's a completely different job than I was doing prior. Um, it's opened up a lot of doors for me, a lot of new opportunities. Um, one of which you'd mentioned before, I'm, I'm actually uh, looking forward to taking the battalion chief's test in February sometime next year. So um, that's not something I think I really would have done had it not been for this, this new venture. Uh, so I, I, I really enjoy talking about it and uh, I, I enjoyed sitting down with you and, and having this discussion. So thanks um, for having me. Thank the you honor, so much. The, the honor is ours. And, you know, when I first met you um, during my visit up to your station, not too long ago, I was impressed with one, your enthusiasm and passion for it. And, you know, as you're showing us the uh, inside of the command response vehicle, and then just, you know, your kindness and, just that classic uh, Mesa Phoenix metropolitan approach to customer service, whether, you know, you know me from Adam or not, just that, that approach um, leaves an impact um, more than I think people realize. And, and so as we were putting this together, I'm like, well, I'm going to call Captain Castillo and see if he can uh, be our first guest. And you graciously accepted. And, and I think we're, uh, we've launched something special here and uh, I'm very grateful to you. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And uh, I look forward to listening to the other podcasts too. There's going to be many more to come and uh, wonderful. We wish you nothing but success as you prepare to test for battalion chief. Thank you so much, Tom. It's great talking to you today. Thanks so much.